Hello, everyone, and welcome back to Free Reads. And now, a few words about our narrator. It says on her website, www.genevievehel.com. Here, let me spell that for you. Genevieve, G-E-N-E-V-I-E-V-E-H-L-A-I-C-H-E-L-E, all one word. Genevievehel.com. That Jen is a theater artist, a performer, director, teacher, and playwright. A resident of Portsmouth, New Hampshire, she received her degree in music and theater for community programs from the University of New Hampshire in 1975, graduating summa cum laude. She is a co-founder and currently serves as artistic director of the New Hampshire Theater Project, based at the West End Studio Theater in Portsmouth. She has performed, directed, and taught performing arts from Boston to Seattle to West Palm Beach, from Dublin to Hong Kong to Frankfurt. What it doesn't say is that she is one of my best friends, and when I decided not to try to narrate the Faye Hardaway stories myself, she was the only actress I thought of for the part. One reason is because I have admired her work as an actor in the many, many productions I have seen her in over the twenty-some years of our friendship. Another reason is that we have worked together on production of most of the stage plays I have written. Wait, did you know I wrote plays that actually got produced? Hey, believe it! Having plays produced at the New Hampshire Theatre Project has taught me almost everything I know about stagecraft and the fine art of artistic collaboration. Yet another reason is that she reads science fiction, and that our tastes match nicely. Believe me, this is very important. And last, but not least, is that Jen is my good and true friend of many years, and I know that she gets Faye in ways that no one else does. So, sad to say... This is the last episode of The Last Judgment, as wonderfully read by the gifted Genevieve Achel. Jen? Sixteen. It wasn't really a party, and I didn't exactly send out invitations, but I arrived at 122 Fairview in style, in a police car chauffeured by Stevie Smick. Siren might have clout downtown, but he couldn't keep the cops from getting their fingerprints all over my case. Stevie had agreed to wait outside as long as I kept my sidekick on record so she could monitor me. I could only hope this wasn't going to be a problem. Standard procedure was to record all interactions with clients, mostly for my own protection but it would be bad for business to present the law with a gift-wrapped basket of evidence against my own clients. I had George the bot from my building in tow as I climbed the front steps and rang the bell of the Descano mansion. This had not pleased Stevie. Cops and bots don't get along, never have. After talking to Haddad, I was guessing that it might be a territorial thing. I'd also asked some devils to stop by later. 
Maud had promised that Andy would be home, so I was relieved when the double doors swung away and I saw him slouching in the entryway. He was wearing a rebel's football jersey, cut-off jeans, and running shoes without socks. He had his hair combed, his face washed, and he looked sober enough to teach kindergarten. What's this? He looked past me at the bot, as welcoming as barbed wire. I brushed past him and noticed that the lights were on in the reception hall. Kirby back yet? I turned my back to the gun cabinet and waved George in. No. Found a replacement? No. Well, then let me introduce George. He comes with my top recommendation. It gives this one bright pleasure to greet you, Andy Descano. He blocked George from coming any further into the house. We don't need a bot. Really, I said. Who'll do all the washing up, the laundry, all that beautiful money to dust? Anne, is that hard away? Maud Descano paused at the top of the stairs, like some movie star making an entrance. The granny was wearing a raspberry rose shrug over a cream top and cuffed linen trousers. It was the first time I had seen her dressed. She started down to us, leaning heavily on the curved mahogany banister. We waited. It was a long wait. What is this bot doing here? She glanced from me to Andy. I thought you could use some help around the place, Maud, at least until Kirby comes back. Don't be ridiculous. We don't need a bot. That's what I said. Andy's voice was low and rumbling. I think he was trying for brooding menace, but he just sounded sleepy. Did you hear that, George? They don't need a bot. I must have been mistaken. This one offers apologies, Maud Descano. He took a step back and bowed. No imposition was intended. Why don't you just wait outside? This won't be long. I ushered him through the open doors, closed them, and turned back to face the two women. Shall we do this in the library, I said. I don't know what you think you're doing, Missy. Maud looked suspicious, as if she thought I might have a damnation of devils in my pocket. But don't try to be clever with me. That's not what I'm paying you for. Oh, Maud, why spoil our last few moments together? I breezed past them toward the library. Andy cursed, and for a moment I was sure that it wasn't going to work. But then I heard them follow. I settled in the ingle nook and lit a cigarette. The Descanos sat together on the bench facing me. Have you got it? said Maud. I tapped the briefcase beside me. You know, things would be so much simpler if Kirby were here. I drew smoke into my lungs, then talked it at them. When you hired me, Maud, you claimed Andy stole your painting. Andy's story was that Beetle took it. Either way, Kirby had to have known. Your grandmother and I have discussed this part already, Andy, but it was after your bedtime. I just wanted to catch you up. Just give us the damn painting, Hardaway. Are you worried about your fee? Maud fumbled a sidekick from the pocket of her trousers, held it close to her face so she could see the screen, and tapped it. There. Her sidekick chirped, and a second later mine made the happiest sound on earth. Thanks, I said, but that doesn't solve the problem of the buyer. I talked to Khalil Haddad, and he said that Andy was going to help pay for the operation. It was only $500, but I was under the impression that your grandson was hard up for cash. Andy was wary, but Maud's face crumpled. You saw Haddad already? Prompt service is my motto. I thought he might be the buyer, but after I got to know the old gent, I didn't like him for it. So not only did Andy know where Beetle and the Bosch were, but he probably knew who the buyer was. Yes? His stare was flinty. But what he didn't know was the reason why Kirby had let them steal the Bosch. You thought it was out of loyalty to you, didn't you, Andy? But it wasn't. Kirby was playing for another team entirely. When I flicked the butt of my cigarette into the fireplace, I could see the ones I'd smoked the other day were still there. These people really did need a new bot. And here's where having our bot friend around would make this case so much simpler. Because something went wrong. Maybe it was Maud hiring me, maybe it was something Beetle did, but Kirby decided he needed the Bosch. And then bad things happened to Bahita Berry. My sidekick began to chirp. I talked over it. Was Kirby going to give it to the buyer or bring it back here? Do you know, Andy? No. But in any case, Kirby went out to the skip house on Chestnut. 
I don't think he meant to kill Beetle. He just misjudged how much beating a woman can take. And then a devil showed up. What was that about? I was losing their attention. I could tell they were distracted by the call on my sidekick. Excuse me, I have to take this. It was George. This one has accomplished the search. It is as you expected, Faye Hardaway. Exit to the back of the house by the water lily pool. There does not exist the possibility of data retrieval. Thanks, George. I clicked off and gave them my endgame smile. So, while we've been chatting in here, I asked George to do a little gardening. And then I was looking at the little gun in Andy Descano's big hand. It was pointed at my chest. I didn't like that much. But Andy wasn't stupid, just young. Nobody here was stupid, I hoped. Anne! Maud was horror-struck. I've heard bullets are hard to get. My voice was calm as an atheist's Sunday morning. How many did you buy, Andy? Enough, he said. Enough for me and the buyer, too? I raised both hands high over my head. Who was it, Andy? The devil I saw that night? Or maybe all of the devils? That would take a lot of bullets, man. You're the detective. I am. I let my hands sink to shoulder level. But Maud didn't hire me to solve Beetle's murder. She just wanted her painting back and you protected. I do have an idea about who it is, because I know something about why the buyer wanted the Bosch. This interested him. Let's hear it. Tell you what, I said and let my hands drop. That gun can't weigh very much, but I've heard that a bullet can be as heavy as a bus. A lot of consequences in a bullet. Why strain yourself? Just lower it for now. You can always shoot me after we chat. Do it, Andy, said Maud. I wondered if that was the first time she had ever used his new name. Let's hear what she has to say. She was paler than ever, but she seemed to be gathering herself for whatever was coming. Andy held the gun on his lap with the barrel pointed at the floor between my legs. So? So, I said. The painting that hung over there all these years was not painted on a blank slab of wood. Underneath it is another painting of another devil, one of the interstellar variety. How did you know that? said Maud. I waved my hand carelessly and gave myself an alibi for vandalizing her artwork. Beetle must have been in a hurry. He shoved it into a plastic bag and wasn't very careful how he did it. When I checked to see what I had, some paint chips were loose. One fell off. You can see a devil's eye staring through the gap in the surface painting. It's one of ours. Okay, said Andy. So? So I say that points toward a devil or devils as being interested in ownership of this unique historical artifact. Then consider how Kirby came to work here. He used to work in the mayor's office, said Maud. She sent him to us. Why? She considered. She claimed he was an improvement over the general run of bots, better socialized, more discreet. Just so. And before her, where did he work? Maud shrugged. I shook a finger at her. Important to get references before you hire in help, Maud. Then I realized a mistake I had made at the very beginning of this case. Wait a minute. What references did you check for me? How did you get my name? I didn't need references, she said. Greta Sams recommended you. I didn't like that. I didn't like that at all. Go on, said Andy. Who did Kirby work for? Greta Sams had no reason to know who I was, much less to recommend me for a case like this. The Hopewell Museum, I said absently. And why should I care about that, he said. The little gun stirred itself and looked around. Maybe you don't. There is nothing like mortal danger to focus the attention. But the mayor was right. Kirby was special. He wasn't built to serve us like most bots. He was created by Eller to assist in compiling the Index of Human Dysfunction. The gun jumped at the mention of Eller, and I knew that I had played Andy Descano once again for the information I needed. So we agree on the buyer, I said. Andy nodded, his eyes bright with rage. A bullet isn't the way to bring that devil bastard down. I have a feeling that some of his own kind might do the job for you. And come to think of it, you really don't want to shoot me, either. 
For one thing, there's a cop around the block monitoring us on my sidekick. For another, you really aren't in that much trouble. With Maud's connections, you'll probably get off with just a fine for the bullets. Shooting the bot was destruction of property. I doubt the devils will bring charges, given the circumstances. Why don't you put that gun up, and we can all stroll out back and see how things look in the light of day. Andy Descano had bought a lot of bullets. Maybe he thought they would make him more of a man. I don't know. I never got the chance to ask him. The Descanos and I stood at the edge of the shallow grave, looking down at the bullet-ridden remains of the bot, Kirby, that the bot, George, had uncovered. He had taken quite a few shots to the head. Stevie Smick was the first to join us. She believed Andy of his gun, but did not immediately arrest him. Siren and Eller arrived soon after. Stevie and I bracketed Andy as the devils approached the ruined bot. I could feel the kid's muscles go hard as he coiled to launch himself at Eller. Don't, said Stevie, just don't. He did it. Andy's whisper seethed like water boiling. It's his fault. The bot did it, I said. You got your revenge, kid. Don't cock it up now. Eller's wings twitched as it took in the mess it had made. Neither devil made any noises that we could hear, and whatever passed between them, if anything, George didn't translate. Then Eller launched itself with a whoosh that tore at our clothes and stirred the dirt next to Kirby's grave. Andy wrenched himself out of our grip and lunged at the devil, too late. He staggered around in impotent fury beneath Eller's screaming curses. It circled above us, just out of reach, as if unsure of where it wanted to go. I paid no attention to either of them. I was watching Siren. Because I had seen the devil disappear a woman once, I was hoping now that it would disappear Eller. I wanted to believe that the devil's idea of wisdom was within shouting distance of our idea of justice. I wanted a finished this case that I could take home and put on a shelf in my waiting room for everyone to see. But Siren gave us nothing, and finally Eller banked and climbed to the west, away from downtown. Then, because he was stupid with grief and rage, or maybe just stupid, Andy turned and punched Siren in the maw. The devil was about the size of a kindergartner, just over a meter tall, and Andy Descano could have arm-wrestled a backhoe. The blow flung Siren off its spindly legs, spinning it backwards. Its wings churned and its bullet body twisted as it toppled into a bed of marigolds. It lay there, unmoving. We froze, all of us a still life with shock. I don't know about the others, but there was a roaring in my ears, as if the earth had cracked or the sky had fallen. Had anyone ever killed a devil? Were they even alive? All I could think of was that Eller was missing a chance to add a chapter to the index of human dysfunction. Then one of Siren's wings shivered, and the bot George was helping the devil stand, and I realized that even though Andy Descano was a headstrong fool, he had acted on an impulse that I and every woman alive shared. He was probably doomed for what he had just done, but he was also a hero. He seemed to realize this at the same time I did, because he straightened, let his arms fall to his side, and faced Siren. A crazy grin spread across his face. Maud was crying. "'Been a while since you've seen a man,' he said. I was certain that Siren would disappear him on the spot. Only it didn't happen. Instead, a lawn sprinkler started up next door, and the moment passed, and we all remembered how to breathe. George steered the wobbly devil toward Stevie. "'Siren mentions the brightest of requests for transport, Lieutenant Stephanie Smick,' he said. "'It regrets lacking capacity to fly to any destination at this moment.' Stevie was doubtful. "'What about the kid?' She looked past the two of them to Andy Descano. "'I should take him in, no?' "'Wisdom dictates that there is no history here,' said the bot. "'Siren tasks that person to continue in life.' Andy looked vaguely disappointed, although he had no right to be. The devil might claim that nothing had just happened, but Andy had a story he could tell the rest of his life. Maud clutched at his arm and turned him toward the house. Stevie and George and Siren were already headed for the police car. If they were letting it go, then I was too. 
These were aliens, after all, and we didn't understand them any better than they understood us. I'd earned my fee. It was another hot afternoon in July, and soon it would be time to pick my daughter up at the Precious Life Center. And there was the interest on Sharifa's kiss that I meant to collect, and the rest of my life to live. But I had one last bit of business to take care of. Here, I trotted after Maud and thrust the briefcase with the Bosch at her. This is yours. Seventeen. I took Sharifa and Aisa to Salt Bay for a week. I built sand castles for Aisa to knock down and taught her how to put her head underwater and blow bubbles. She stayed up too late and ate too many popsicles and was as happy as any two-year-old had ever been before or after the men disappeared. It was almost enough to make me forget about the Descanos and the Devils and the Index of Human Dysfunction. Sharifa bought a new bathing suit and read a novel about a queen who married a dragon. We had asparagus twice that week and made love every afternoon while Aisa napped. I held myself to one lonely drink a night. Whenever Sharifa took Aisa to the playground, I would spread my blanket on the beach and think. Late in the week, I told Sharifa about how Haddad had maybe implied that maybe I was really a man. She listened and then laughed and said that she'd love me no matter what equipment I came with. It didn't matter to her. I knew she was only trying to be playful and make me lighten up, but it mattered to me too much. I thought if I was supposed to be a different gender, then did I have to rewrite the life I had been living all these years? I didn't feel like a man, didn't want to feel like one. I felt like me. But deep into the night, as I spooned beside my beautiful wife, a snake inside my head twisted and tried to swallow its own tail. Maybe I was the way I was because I was really somebody else. If Adad was right, then I was in denial. That meant I couldn't even trust my own thoughts. Business was slow when I got back to the city. I briefly had a missing teen case, only she wasn't very missing. She showed up the day after the mom hired me. I was sitting on a cushion of Siren's money, so I didn't charge her. But I told Sharifa I was working the case so I could hide out in the office and keep Johnny Walker company. I spent the time reading everything I could find about Hieronymus Bosch and studying his devils. None were ours. Bosch had painted at least three versions of The Last Judgment. One was in Vienna, another in Bruges. The third had been lost. A large fragment of this last piece had been in the Alta Pinakothek in Munich, but the museum had been burned during the crazy times. A smaller fragment now hung in Maud Descano's library. All the last judgments showed Jesus sorting the damned from the saved at the end of the world. Maybe being a P.I. was getting to me, but I had to agree with Bosch's count. He painted twice as many sinners as saints. It was pretty to think that on Judgment Day we would find out if we'd lived right or wrong, but I was no Christer. All those stories about hell were just a win to me. By then I'd wasted several days trying to drink something Maud Descano had set off my mind, so I finally gave up and called City Hall. I left my name with the mayor's appointment secretary on a Tuesday afternoon. On Wednesday, I lost 87 cents to myself playing solitaire. On Thursday, I got a call from some Jane who thought her girlfriend might be cheating on her. I biked all the way across town to talk to this person, only to find her screaming at the girlfriend, who was in the process of packing up and moving out. I decided that going back to the office to watch dust settle might give me a drinking problem, so I was headed home when my sidekick chirped. Greta Sams had a cancellation at 3.45. She could give me 15 minutes. Did I still want them? A centerpiece of Mayor Greta Sam's administration was the rehabilitation of City Hall. Built in 1872 in the French Second Empire style, it had once been on the National Register of Historic Places. It had been long abandoned, and its 300-and-something rooms had been trashed by squatters and vagrants and women who were just plain angry. The mayor had resisted calls to tear it down and instead had diverted scarce funds to save it. 
Although there must have been bots on the job, she made sure that the only workers that visitors saw were women. A trio of electricians lifted a tinkling chandelier into place in the lobby, and the elevator was out of service because a carpenter was replacing the mirror built into the ceiling. The stairs to the mayor's office on the fifth floor smelled of sawdust and fresh paint and hope. I arrived a few minutes before my appointment, expecting to be told that she was running behind and that I would have to wait. But the secretary greeted me as if I were the Queen of Arkansas and ushered me into the presence immediately. Faye Hardaway, Greta Sams came around her desk and surprised me with a hug. So glad you called. You've done wonders. I can't thank you enough. And now we can visit. She propelled me toward a seating area arranged in front of floor-to-ceiling windows. What can I get you? Coffee? No, thanks. I settled into a leather chair that was as deep as the Grand Canyon. It's after three. On the coffee table in front of us was a tray laden with tumblers and crystal decanters. Late enough for a taste? I'm trying to cut back. She nodded as if she thought this was a good idea and settled on the couch opposite me. I stared at her in silence and let the moment stretch. Sometimes that gets people talking. She just watched and waited me out. What do you know about me, I said finally. Let's see. She glanced up as if reading my resume off the ceiling. You're a P.I. I've heard that you're very good at what you do. I know... You heard that where? I know, she waved the question off, that you're married to Dr. Sharifa Ramirez, who works in the intensive care unit at Parkhurst. I know that you have a daughter, Alyssa. Aisa. Why did you give my name to Maud Descano? She sighed. Because Siren asked me to, or his bot did. Why? Do I know why the devils do anything they do? She shook her head, answering her own question. Maybe it has plans for you. I understand you've met my friend Khalil Haddad. I leaned back into the depths of my chair. Yeah. You probably heard his theory that there are factions among the devils, that one of them now questions the wisdom of disappearing our men. She stared at the decanter as if debating whether to pour herself a drink. He also claims that there is a debate about the way forward. She decided in favor. Siren and Eller. Didn't get along. A decanter clinked against a glass. The pour filled the room with the fragrance of scotch. Did Siren find out that Eller was after the painting? Maybe. She took the smallest sip in history and set the glass on the table. Watching it wait there for her was exquisite torture. Eller has moved to Germany, by the way, she said. The devils in Stuttgart share his views, although I understand he has abandoned the index of human dysfunction. She folded her hands in her lap. Why do you suppose the devil was interested in that painting? I told her what I had found underneath. But what does it mean? No idea. I'm sure Haddad would have a theory. She was gazing out her windows. Sometimes I think he has too many theories. You called him your friend. An ally, at any rate. He does good, but helping people one at a time doesn't solve the real problem. The real problem? The devils and the bots stole the future. She heaved herself off the couch and went to the near window. Come, see this view. She stood with her back to me. I humored her. We were looking east, toward the river and the three bridges, the memorial, the 14th Street, and the Sanger, where Renata Descano had killed herself. Across the river was the snaggletooth skyline of the financial district. Two of the tallest towers were mostly empty, and the burnt-out shell of the Weatherall was being torn down, another Sam's project. But most of the others were occupied. I'd done insurance work for Prudential and Home Court, and beyond the towers was Fisher Park, home. Your daughter, Aisa? Greta Sams gazed down at her city. How old? Almost two. Yours? Hers. Then I corrected myself. Ours. Of course. You're forty what? Two. You must have been seated. And got scraped. The words were stones in my mouth. Same as me. She shook her head. Same. We contemplated our childlessness for a moment. We're trapped, aren't we? We want children, but not that way. 
Sometimes I think that's the worst of what they've done. But it's all bad, and it has to stop. She looked at her watch, and I wondered just how old she was. Only grannies wear watches. Listen, dear, I've got a four o'clock, so I'm kicking you out now. Just remember, this is going to be a great city again. Your kid is going to be proud of it someday. So take care of your family, and I'll take care of this as best as I can. She gestured at the view. And we'll see what happens, okay? I was thinking about what Greta Sams had said as I stepped into the tumult of the Precious Life Center that afternoon. A whirlwind of toddlers was chasing around the center of the playroom, screaming with laughter. Some older kids were off in a corner flying dogs and princesses in cars around a plastic castle. A girl in a cat mask was dancing with one of the teachers to the tune of Push, Pull, Stand Still. If this cocked world that I was born into had to stop, who was going to stop it? Not me. Not Sharifa. Not Greta Sams or Stevie Smick or Khalil Haddad, no matter how hard he tried. We couldn't do it. At least not by ourselves. We would need these kids. Mommy Faye! Mommy Faye! Aisa trundled up and hugged me around the legs so hard that I almost lost my balance. Maybe bye-bye home piece? Sure, sweetie, I said. Let's go home. And that's it for now. I do intend to return to Faye Hardaway someday, but when that will be, I can't say exactly. Soon, or soonish, I hope. In any event, this concludes The Last Judgment, as read by Genevieve Achel. Usually I insert a commercial here for all my various digital projects, but you're probably sick of hearing it. So let's give it a pass, shall we? Next time, it will just be the two of us, dear listener. I'll do my best to live up to the high standards Jen has set. So please, click back here next week for a new story on the Free Reads Podcast. <laughs> <laughs>